Uncle Jerry. Um, you can just call me Pastor Anna Marie. And you did a pretty good job of, of um, pronouncing my name. My last name is Vallez. So there's two L's in it. But um, thank you for the warm introduction. So I don't know about you, but I haven't had a lot of sermons on the, the Book of Lamentations. In fact, if you open your Bible, if you could open your Bibles, we'll be going through the five chapters this morning. Um, some of you, maybe you have to like kind of peel your pages back because there hasn't been a lot of Bible study or um, sermons done on lamentation. So I'm really excited to just dig into the word with you this morning. So back um, about five months ago, when this whole pandemic started, or six months ago, I, I kind of um, thought of this as analogy of more like a, a race, like a, a sprint. So I thought, all we had to do is just brace ourselves, run really hard, and then it'd be over. And then we would be back to our lives, right? We always thought that, oh, this would just be a few weeks of shelter in place. And then we can go back to corporate worship. We could go back to school, back to our celebrations. But then, of course, that didn't happen. So the better analogy of this pandemic has been more of a cross-country race. So I don't know if there's any runners out there in the congregation, but um, I actually have never raced in a concrete um, cross-country marathon, but I've gone to a lot of meets cheering on students. And so what I gather is when you are at the start line, when you're starting to run, you cannot see the finish line. All you can see are the peaks and the valleys and the turns. And you have an idea of where the finish line is, but not really. You can't see it. And so I think that's more like the, the better analogy of what this pandemic has been. Going on for month after month after month, we don't know when it's gonna end. And so it's been hard to gauge that. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give us permission to grieve. I wanna give us permission to grieve what we have lost. So many of us have lost so many things. Maybe some of us have lost celebrations. Maybe there's some um, recent college students that didn't get to walk with their class for graduation. And you mourn that, that was a disappointment. Or maybe you plan to go visit family this summer and you, and you couldn't. So there's mourning in that as well. We couldn't see family, we, we can't worship corporately together. And so that's been difficult for us. And we also mourn those who lost their jobs. And many people have lost their businesses. And we mourn that as well. And some people have lost their lives. And the problem sometimes with mourning is we compare. We think, well, the fact that I didn't get to go to prom doesn't compare to that person down the street that lost their business. And of course, in the, it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to grieve. It doesn't mean that the God who is concerned about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air doesn't care about the fact that you are sad because you didn't get to go to prom or you didn't get to walk for graduation or you had to postpone your wedding. 
We can be real with our God. We can take our God, we can take to him our griefs and our sadness and our disappointments. But the problem that sometimes we have is we tend to go to sermons or books that make us feel happy. When we're in the valleys, we pray, Lord, get me out of this valley, right? We want to get out of that. We just rather be in the mountaintops or just on the plains. I want to hear upbeat um, sermons on God's joy and God's provision and God's healing. And this is all good. We should hear about that. We should hear about his love and mercy that he has to his sons and daughters. We need to hear messages on the Holy Spirit and the power that we have to fight sin. But the reality is, is as Christians, we have an unbalanced theology when we stress triumph rather than lament. We need both to have an accurate view of what God is doing in our lives. Because life is full of joy, but it also has is um, share of sorrow and pain. And we need to know that as believers that God is not absent in the pain and sorrows. He is there. In fact, there can be purpose and there can be growth and there can be great intimacy between us and God and the pain. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, it says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Society promotes happiness at all costs, right? Buy this, wear this, pleasure at all costs. This will make you happy. But happiness at all times, it's not a reality. It's a myth. It's a facade. And I believe, church, that God is calling us to be real, authentic people. God wants us to acknowledge our pain head on, to bring it to him, and to be honest with our sin so that we could be cleansed. So this morning, we're going to focus on the importance of lament, to mourn and repent on our sin, and to grieve through the pain of loss. For some of us, we need to repent on how we look to other things to numb our pain during this pandemic. I read somewhere that al alcohol sales went up or increased by over 400%. And I know many people that I've talked to have just numbed their pain by binge watching Netflix. And I think, I think for some of us, we need to, to come to God and repent that we look to other things to numb our pain rather than to be real and to bring our pain at the foot of the cross. So let's open our book to Lamentations. If you have your Bibles right there, we're just going to, we're not going to read all five chapters today, but we are going to go in, um, and pick out some verses and scripture. And, but I'm going to do a summary of um, each of the chapters. So Lamentations, if you're not familiar with it, it's a book of, so of sorrowful songs or poems. So the name implies that the topic is expressing grief over something, to lament. So Jeremiah wrote this, and he is known as the weeping prophet. And there's a right, there's a reason why he's known for that. So he wrote this, um, it was written after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC. And so Jeremiah 
he what he did first is he warned the people that if they didn't repent if they didn't turn back to god that god was going to allow that god was actually going to remove his hand of protection and going to allow enemies to come and to destroy them and so he predict he predicted that and then he saw it happen he was an eyewitness he saw that the babylonians came and they um destroyed everything and then this is his lament this is his reflections on what happened. Its purpose was to, to express despair and to teach God's people that disobedience to the Lord results in immense suffering and distress. It's an interesting thing about this book. It's not the only book in the Old Testament that contains laments. So a big part of Psalms, um, if you read Psalms, there's a lot of poems where David is reflecting how hard life is, and but then he takes his um, pain to God. And so um, if I encourage you, if you're not familiar with it, to take time some time. It's beautifully written, um, and it's a short, it's only five chapters. So let me give us the summary. In chapter one, Jeremiah mourns for Jerusalem and Judea. In fact, if you look in your um in chapter one verse one chapter one verse one i'm going to read it how lonely sits the city that was full of people she has become like a widow who was once great among the nations she who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer i think the word picture here that jeremiah uses is the comparison right here we have that um, Jerusalem, she was so full of life. She was the fullest city of, of people who, who um, were rich in, in heritage and rich in, in community. And then in comparison, it seems empty. It's, that's how difficult the devastation is. Because in comparison, she seems like a widow. Before she seemed like a princess, and then she seems now like a servant, like a slave. And I think that's one of the hard things about this pandemic is the comparison that we see. For me, I think the hardest, one of the hardest things early on was Easter. Easter was very difficult for me because Easter is a great celebration of celebrating what Christ did to conquer death and to raise from the dead. It's just, it's, it's my favorite holiday to celebrate what he did for us not only on the cross, but how he triumphed over death. And so churches typically on Easter, on all the churches I've been part of, it's true, churches are usually packed on Easter, right? So it's just great to see the parking lot just full of people and everyone's really in a great mood and everyone is um, just greeting each other and kids are in their great Easter clothes and lots of times, there's food and some celebration. Our church, we have a, a pancake breakfast. And then we come home and um, we have a large family. And so we usually host Easter. And so typically we have about 50 people in our home on Easter. And so we have the backyard is full. We have a jumpy house for the kids and we have so much food. And it's just a great time to celebrate. And this year, Easter was celebrated, I think, sitting on the floor in my pajamas, watching online church, and then 
cooking a little two pound ham for my husband and I. And I just wanted to weep because this is not how my heart wanted it to be celebrated, right? I think another difficulty thing with the comparison was seeing if you've driven by your church on a Sunday morning and seeing the, the building empty. Our buildings aren't, aren't meant to be empty, right? We want it to be full or maybe on a Friday night you drive by and there isn't kids running around with Awanas or youth group. And even though we're doing it online, it, there sits an empty building and that seems sad in comparison. And of course, I know in comparison, these things aren't the same as what um, Jerusalem was experiencing. It's on a smaller scale, but I think the loss and the feelings of, um, of sadness are definitely real. So in chapter two, let's look at chapter two. So in chapter two, verses two and four talks about in fierce anger, he has cut off all the strength of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. So this is what happened. Jeremiah had predicted it, that God literally took his hand of protection off of Israel and allowed the enemy to come, to come in. And that's what was happening there. And so here is a picture of Israel's sin. Israel did not repent. They kept, go, they kept pursuing false idols, and they kept marrying women or people who, um, who, who brought false idols with them. And so their hearts were turned away from God. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to look at Israel and kind of think, what were you thinking, right? Like, why couldn't you repented? You could have avoided all this pain. But then how often, I think of my own sin, right? We have the Bible in completion. We have God's word in completion. And so many times I do my own thing. I walk away from the principles that he has laid out for me to live. And I also have the consequences of my sin as well. So I think it's so easy for us to look and to kind of judge what Israel did, but instead to look at our own sin and think, how have we walked away from God? How have we walked away from his word and pursued our own things, whether it's materialism or um, just our idols are different, right? Our idols are wealth and materialism and fame and pride and how often we bow to those idols instead of God. So in chapter three, um, Jeremiah expresses his troubled spirit and suffering and gloom. And in fact, in, um, if you look at, at verses one through six, he talks about how his body, in fact, grief has affected his body. It has aged his body because he, he, he is so upset. So in the midst of the darkness, there's a clump of verses that shouts out hope. And I believe it was read earlier in our service. And we'll, we'll come back to that. But these verses, they, they shout out hope. But we're, let's sit a little bit um, longer in the lament. So let's go to chapter 4. So in chapter 4, we read that God has brought justice and ruled mightily. And so we see in... Um, 
in verses 11, we see that how um, Jeremiah, he, he depicts each of the treasures that are affected. He talks about the youth, which are any nation's most valuable, um, valuable asset. They lay dead. They're scattered around like broken bits of pottery. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking around to see that? That would be horrific. The little children who once had food are starving. They don't have any bread or milk. The wealthy who are accustomed to the finest food and clothing are literally, they're scavenging in the city dumps. Look at that, that comparison that we see, that picture. The princes of Judah were once had been a picture of health and now their skin and bones, they're wasting away because of the famine that's also in the land. And in fact, it's so bad. I think things have to be so bad that the mothers of Judah have resorted to cannibalizing their own offspring. I mean, you know that that's a bad time when they're forced to eat their own offspring. And so he really depicts how um, devastating this was. And in chapter five, um, the thing about chapter five is chapter five also, it doesn't end in a happy ending, right? I don't know about you, but I love for my books, for my movies to end happily. In fact, if you recommend a book or a movie to me, the first thing that I will ask is, does it have happy ending? Because it doesn't, I, I don't want to read it, or I don't want to, to look at the movie. But so here, chapter five, it still ends in lament. And in fact, it ends in a plea. It ends in a plea to restore, to renew, and to refresh. But here's the good thing, church. The good thing is this plea does not fall on deaf ears. This plea to renew and to refresh is to our God, our God who is full of compassion and full of mercy. And he hears his people. He hears his people when we humbly come to him in repentance. He hears us. So we're going to look, we're going to break down, um, we're going to uh, apply lamentations to us. So Lamentations, first of all, is a call to repentance. If you're taking notes, Lamentation is a call to repentance. So if we're honest, our society has watered down sin, right? We call sin a, a temperament or a personality. We rationalize it. We defend it. We water it down. But our sin is not okay. It grieves the heart of God. I remember in my Youth for Christ's work, um, I remember this one time. So what I do is I run um, outreach clubs on the public school campuses. And most of the students that come are non-Christians. And that's what we want. We want them to learn about God. And so I had this one small group that really has stood out to me. And um, we were, I don't know how, but we were discussing the Ten Commandments. And these students, one by one, rationalize that that um, there really isn't a such thing as sin. So they were talking about cheating and they said, and they really believe this. I, I think they, they said, cheating is okay if you cheat off your friend's paper, but then you go home and you learn the content, then it's okay. 
it's not like you were stealing, you were just kind of borrowing the information and then you learned it later. And I was sitting there kind of like, really, you guys think this? And they said, um, adultery, like sex before marriage isn't wrong as long as you protect each other. And lying isn't wrong is as long as you don't hurt anybody's feelings. And that's what we have done as society is we have watered down sin. But the honest thing is that God, that our sin separates us from God. That's why we need what Jesus did, the work of the cross. And sometimes we can downplay it. We can say, well, God is full of mercy and I'm a New Testament believer. I'm under the new covenant. And that's true. And that's great. But we can't skip over repentance. We must go through it. We need to stay in, um, in the sadness of our sin and realize that our sin has consequences. Our sin maybe has broken relationships here. Our sin has, um, has separated us again from not only God, but maybe other people in our community and in our family or in our lives. And that we have to realize that our sin maybe has caused pain on other people. I think that sometimes we rush ahead with grace. We see this sometimes when we talk about Easter, right? A lot of us, we don't like to camp on what happened on Good Friday. We don't like to think of our sin. We're just so quickly to go to the resurrection. But again, we need to sit in our sin just a moment. Um, in Psalms, so, um, David says, search me and know me and see if there's any wickedness in me. We need to take time during our prayer time, during our, um, our worship time to reflect and ask God that. God, is there anything, is there any sin right now that is affecting my relationship with you or maybe with my spouse or with my family? So because of the sin, the consequence of our sin is often tragic. And so one thing that we need to realize is that tragedy and devastation is often the beginning of God's rebuilding process. So if you have suffered consequences of your sin, God can redeem it and God can rebuild it. So that's good news. But the Lord will never build upon a foundation that is not good and solid. He can't build blessings on top of sin. Um, I had this young college student that I was mentoring one time and she was um, she was asking me to pray for blessings over her relationship she she had a boyfriend and she wanted it to move forward and so she wanted me to pray over that but the issue that was happening is um, there was a couple issues her boyfriend wasn't a believer and they were being intimate before marriage and so there was some things that had to be adjusted first before you can ask God to bless that relationship, right? You have to get in line with his word. And whatever the Lord cannot repair, he destroys and rebuilds because God is not about placing a bandaid over our sin. He, sometimes he needs to wipe it over, to wipe it out and start over. So the, the process of refining can be painful. But God is trying to do the work in us so that he can mold us into the person that he has, that he has created and designed us to be. 
So I want to ask you, church, is there a sin right now that maybe there's a sin that nobody knows? Maybe it's a secret sin, but it's something that is keeping you from moving forward. There's something that's keeping you from moving forward into the calling that God has for you on your life. So I, I would just ask that you would take a couple of moments and just think about that for a moment. Is there something that I need to repent and I need to ask God's forgiveness for? So secondly, Lamentations is a call to grieving. Some of us, we experience grief because of our own sin, but some of us experience grief because of the consequences of other people's sin or just because there's sin in this world, right? So many of us, maybe we have had a rough year. Maybe you have um, lost your job or maybe you've had someone in your family that have died. So I think it's important. What does it mean? What does it look like for a believer to mourn? What does it look like for a believer to grieve? Because grieving is part of life, but it, it's hard um, to know what that looks like. I grew up in a church where everything, um, every answer, no one wanted to say that they were struggling. Everything was like, God is good all the time. And it's true, God is good all the time, but that doesn't mean that I am not hurting inside. And, but we were always had to smile and to say, God's gonna bring me out of this. And we didn't know what it looked like to, to mourn in a way that um, was biblical or honest. So many of us, if we're honest, we adapt the way that the world grieves. So I wanna give you an example. So think of a child and a pet. He lost his beloved pet. So his parents might say, don't be sad. You know, on Saturday, we're going to go get you a, a new puppy. So what is this teaching this child? It's teaching the child to bury the pain and move on. So it's saying, it's okay. You know, let's look at the future. And you might think that that's okay, but it's, it's burying the pain and it's not dealing with the sadness. What about when the child gets older? And they encounter their first breakup. And uh, maybe you as a parent might say, good, I didn't like that person anyway. Right? And that doesn't help the teen's heart. But, um, or we might say, there's plenty, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Or you're too young today anyway. Wait till after you graduate from college. Right? So we're not giving that person a chance to be real with the sadness that's happening. I remember um, a friend of mine a few years back, she called me at three o'clock in the morning and she said, she had this really high pitched voice. And she said, great news, mom is with Jesus. And I was thinking, what? <laughs> and so I said, I'll be right over. So I put on my clothes, dressed, drove over there. And sure enough, my friend um, had worship music really loud and she was on the phone telling everyone the good news that mom was in heaven with Jesus. And that was good news because her mom had been in pain. But I was worried that my friend wasn't being real with her sadness. And so at the funeral, I asked her, how are you doing with your grieving? And she said, I grieved for a week and then I moved on and I'm not grieving anymore. And so my friend really bought the lie that as Christians, we're not allowed to grieve. 
So again, the question is, how should a Christian grieve? So we all grieve differently, but the point is we need to grieve. So in the Old Testament, God gave Jews specific directions. It was actually in the law of how they could grieve for grief and mourning. And so according to the law, the Jews were allowed to express their grief in some of the ways that in the other nations around them. So they could cry, they could wail, and they could wear sackcloth and ashes. Now, aren't you glad that we don't do sackcloth and ashes anymore? Some of us would be walking around with ashes on our face for a while. <laughs> but they were forbidden. Um, however, from there was one common practice that the Middle Eastern, um, some of the um, nations in the Middle East practice, and that's what they would do is they would cut themselves. And God forbade his people to do that. And I think it's because the Jews were not supposed to mourn like the heathen. The heathen had no hope, but our hope is in God. And a cut will leave a star, a scar, right? So you might have some cuts from when you were little, and it'll leave a scar. But God doesn't want us to be scarred by our losses. He doesn't want us to make a memorial to them. He wants us to mourn them and then go forward to the future he has for us. So my question, church, are we pushing down the pain or are we lamenting so that God can heal our broken hearts? Now, again, I'm not saying to get stuck in grief, because if we get stuck in grief, that can turn into self-pity. And I think the hardest part for us in the lament and in grieving and part of this pandemic as well is the silence. Right? Sometimes when we're grieving, Maybe it's hard for us to feel God's presence. Or we are praying out to God and maybe we, we don't hear him answering us. And so that's hard. Can you think about that for um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's about 500 years where God was silent. But God is in the silence. Um, he was still there. God was not absent. He was silent, though. But we are afraid of silence, right? In fact, how many of us, as soon as we, we wake up, you know, we turn on the news or turn on our phone or turn on music or turn on the TV, we constantly have noise around us. And I would just kind of encourage you, church, if you haven't had a chance already, to maybe spend some time in your prayer time being silent. Even try yourself for a couple of minutes to just listen in the silence and see if God um, is, wants to speak with you, but just to not be afraid of silence. And lastly, my question is, where do we go from here? Lastly, Lamentations is a call to hope. The world doesn't need Christians that are fake. The world doesn't need Christians that are saying life is always good, right? The, the world needs Christians who are real and authentic. The world needs to see the Christians who we mess up, and we may, we may hurt people with our tongues or with our, our actions, but we should be quick to make amends. We should be quick to repent and to say, to ask for forgiveness and to ask God for forgiveness. People need to see that, that we are humble people that are in need of a God for his forgiveness and mercy. And we are also humble people that can come to each other and to say, I'm sorry that I hurt you with my words. Please forgive me. The world needs to see our um, 
authenticity. The world also needs to see us to face the pains of life with not a fake, a fake um, happiness, but a real joy that comes from our hope in God. Because even when these circumstances seem hopeless, we are not without hope, church. We are not without hope. In fact, I want to remind us from the earlier reading that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness to us. Let us pray. Dear God, we come before you being real. For some of us, we have had a rough year. We have had a rough six months. We feel separated and isolated from our family who may live far away. We feel um, separated even from our church family. We, many of us maybe have lost um, celebrations that we have missed, or maybe we thought we would be in college right now, but we are online at home. Or some of us, have had health issues or have lost jobs or income. And so God, we bring to you and we lay our grief at your throne. And Lord, for some of us, we need to repent. We need to repent that we look to other things instead of you to numb our pain, God, instead of being real. So God, please forgive us for the times that we look to other things or people to fill us up. And Lord, lastly, I just pray for this entire congregation at Hawk 4. I just pray that they would sense your, your goodness on them. They would sense your hope and they would sense your love and compassion. So Lord, we thank you again for that great promise that your mercies are in you every morning. You are a faithful, faithful God. And together, in the name of Jesus, we say amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.